Lucy. Okay. I'm Sounds your good. cat. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> so they show. Like when he hears about Indian food. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we will be covering True Detective Season 3, Episode 4, The Hour and the Day. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of the first and second season of True Detective and through Episode 5 of Season 3. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige Ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Prestige-ish media podcast. In this episode, we'll be covering True Detective season three, episode four, the hour and the day. So this one is interesting. It was written by Nick Pizzolatto with David Mulch, David or David Milch. David Milch was a writer on Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, P.D. Blue. He was a writer on Deadwood as well. So to your detective show fetish situation, Dan, he def- he definitely knows this guy from shows that he probably watched, I would say. I'm surprised Dennis Franz didn't make a guest appearance because I think he was a detective on two out of those shows and maybe appeared on L.A. Law as a detective. I have no idea. Does he know Dick Wolf at all? Sure. (laughs) I was going to ask you on the last one, do you have any knowledge of Heart to Heart, either of you or Dan specifically? Yeah, I, I didn't watch it on a regular basis, but I do remember it being popular robert but were the cops like extra horny or something to his point about the afro heart to heart i i'm like imagining la femme nikita but they were a man woman team and i thought they were private dicks but i don't really remember anything that remarkable other than i had a friend with the same name as the actor so i thought this was interesting that this is his like directing debut though for Pizzolatto. And I think it's a well enough directed episode. Like I didn't notice anything, you know, I, mostly good. So that was really surprising to me. Do you guys have your ratings for this episode at all? I gave it a 6.3, even though it was very quotable. I have come to expect a lot from the fourth episode of this show. And it's now starting to have a unique pacing and structure different from the first two seasons. Jessica, did you have a ranking for the fourth episode? Five and a half, six. That didn't, six. It was a lot of lead up and run around. 5.75. I'm going to go 7.5. I once again liked it. I thought the ending was very strong and I thought everything was solid. I, I could go as high as an eight. So I'm somewhere between a 7.5 and an 8. We start out at St. Michael's Church of the Ozarks. 
there's some sort of, I guess, first communion class going on. They start talking to the priest, they being Wayne and Roland. We're in what I believe is the 1980 timeline. They say, why are the children posed this way? Who took these pictures? We see that Will's one of the only ones with his eyes closed in the picture. The priest actually took the picture. They're asking about the youth group. They do mention that Julie had been excited about seeing an aunt, which they say they don't have an aunt. He does ask to try to get some like names and fingerprints. I guess this ends up being of the whole church when they do that like collection later. We do find out that those dolls are called chaff dolls. They were made by Patty Faber. She makes them for the fall festival. Some other interesting information. We find out Wayne is Catholic. He was an altar boy growing up. When they leave, Roland says, I don't like him, the priest. Is this where you have one of your first quotes yet? Or do you want me to go with mine? You go with yours. He says, man signs up to go without fucking for life. Either he don't know himself or he's some tight, limited edition psycho. And he also (laughs) says, everybody's fucking something. What were your guys' thoughts on this opening scene with the priest and the priest follow-up, I guess? They're making a lot out of the communion and the pose link. I don't know what the meaning is here. I think it's a total curveball trying to say that religion has something to do with it. But I don't think that's really, it has as much to do with this whole thing as we think it does. Any other thoughts from you, Jessica? A callback to season one. Just with the religion Uh, stuff? Yes. And I mean, how many interviews did they conduct in churches there with religious people? And also, I don't think it really has much to do with it because, yeah, they took pictures of kids going like this. But I've, you know, kids have a a million children's books with kids praying and there's like different. So I don't think it takes a a priest to kill a kid and pose them like that. Yeah, I thought it was, I guess the only thing I did like about it, I I never feel felt like they went too far, like accusing it of being religious specifically. We get this little bit, but they didn't beat it into the ground the way they did the first season. Dan? We do get a lot of setup in the 80s timeline in this episode where you get talks of other people buying the dolls and who buy the doll, who bought the dolls, who gave her the dolls who was playing with them out at the woods and what their relation was. And all that seems forgotten about by the 1990 timeline. It seemed like there were all these avenues and ways to go, but for whatever reason, at this point in the story, it all got wrapped up. They, they went a direction and it seemed like there were all these loose threads that it surprises me that everybody's, Oh yeah, I guess we're good here. Never mind all those other questions we had about it. We still don't do think, know. Uh, Go ahead, Jessica. Do you think that lady only remembered the one guy that bought the dolls because he looked because of the eye? He was like well, disfigured. Or do you well, think because I mean, if someone's selling something on like a craft fair, like what are the odds that she's keeping detailed records on who's buying everything? Right? They cash. bought a lot though. Yeah, I don't think it was a prominent air, a prominently black area, and he bought ten. Weird eye. He wasn't handsome. Had, I think it was the weird yeah. eye. Like you'd remember I gotta that say, from... I gotta say, if I sell them once a year, it's the same year. I only saw one black dude with a black with a weird eye, and I'm in the middle of Steelville, Missouri. I would have noticed. But 
No, it, it's it. I, I get your point, Jessica. I don't think it's totally out of bounds, but it's also not totally out of bounds. I think that she would remember. So as we go a little further here, Wayne's basically positing that. Let me take one more half step back. To your point, Dan, I, I think the way this episode ends and the way the next one sets up is I agree with you. It's weird they didn't follow up on some of these leads, but they do give us the out that all hell broke loose with this. I mean, think about if that would have happened in 1980. I mean, that would have been a, like a terrorist attack in 1980. You know what I mean? With a bomb going off and what happened. So it was a pretty serious event. B, there were motivated people to tie that event to. There was evidence found there. Yeah, the evidence was shoddy. But like even Wayne, I think in the, the next episode says, you know, everybody just kind of rushed through it. We don't really know the fallout with Wayne. So we don't really know what that is yet. And that might play into this somehow because Wayne being taken out of the picture is really a big part of it. Roland's seriously injured. I mean, he's not really in a position to do any detective. So I agree with you that the brown sedan, the, the black male and woman not being followed up with combined with what we've got a black suspect with these dolls, that all not being filed up with, followed up with is crazy. But yeah, the show does it. give us enough to make it somewhat believable that could possibly happen. Go ahead. I would think for Hayes, that would bother him a lot. I don't, being the tracker, the person that sees these things through and the probably the one that has the best read on it, the fact that he's willing to accept the story that's presented is hard for me to get my head around. That just doesn't yeah. seem true to the character in 1980. Yeah, and we don't know why, you know, we don't know why he took this desk job. We don't know at what point Amelia's pregnant and what time he gets married. We don't know what strain this was or wasn't putting on their relationship. It definitely puts a strain on him later. Yeah, I don't know enough to know, but everything you're saying, I think, is pretty valid, Dan. So right after this is where we do see Pat Patty Faber. Um, she mentions the doll. She sold them in October. One man bought 10, black, dead eye filmy eye um he said he had nieces and nephews she assumed he was with the rest of them in davis junction which this did seem racial and <laughs> but she was right about one man in that area it, it was accurate although a little racially motivated back to 1990 wayne is very giddy about the case Amelia is reserved. She said, I'm happy for you. Like you were happy for me the other night. And then I do think she delivers a scathing, accurate review of Wayne. Some of the things she said is you're the person these things just happened to. You're this grown man with no agency of your own. At this point, the kids can hear them arguing. She said to him at one point, I think you stay upright out of habit. Wayne turns up the TV. I did think this is where I thought I was not as pro Amelia. She's let go of me, Wayne. And he says, stop talking shit about me. And then he tries to leave and she calls him like, I forget, but oh yeah, walk away. And he's, what do you want me to do? I'm just answering. Just walk away, surprise. And he's like, you want me to hit you? Fuck you. Just give me my orders, major. And she says, how about right now? He says, you have got some major cognitive dissonance. And then you just hear rhythmic banging on the wall as their kids are listening to what's going on. What was your take on this scene with Wayne and Amelia, Jessica? I didn't expect them to do it. 
but I don't know. I thought here I didn't want to kill him yet because I thought it was funny when she was mean to him and he's, he's or what are you going to do? And then he's like, oh, I'm going to cry and I'm going to start crying. And I don't know. I think he's she's too much woman, like too much crazy woman for him. Dan, <laughs> but- what were your... Oh, go ahead. Did you have more? Uh, I don't know. I guess they both... Uh, see, it's not working. They do use sex to patch things together and stuff, and those patches don't last. Well, I will say they did say afterwards, she said, I don't think bad of you what I was saying. I didn't really mean that, and he said me either. So at this point... Well, she probably did mean it, and she was just like, for now she doesn't really... She probably meant it, and now she's like, now I feel good. I should say something nice to him that I probably don't mean. I, I haven't um, seen enough healthy relationships to comment or no, but I would say I was still at this point. To, they're still kind of wrapping things up nicely at the end. And I thought that was a positive, at least if we compare it to some of the relationships we've seen, like Marty and Maggie. Dan, what was your thoughts on this interchange between them? So I've got a couple notes. The first, and I referenced it in our episode three recap, but there's actually just a a stylistic moment here when it goes from the eighties timeline to the nineties, it is like a bright white fade with a match on sound traveling through it. I also wrote down the quote that Jessica referenced the, or I'm going to cry. That's a very uncop thing, but it was also kind of true to the character. Like it kind of caught me off guard that in 1990, he would say something like that. And then I have down that cognitive dissonance is this season's making flowers. That's good. I like that. Question about that, though. We did get Marty actually crying with his wife in their turn into their argument sex scene. So that is a half a callback. Oh, you mean Um, Marty fake crying? Okay. Yeah. And then also (laughs) they didn't, she didn't turn on that because she still started talking shit after that. And I was kind of surprised that wasn't what turned the argument because she did say something like, oh, that's something different. But then she went right back to talking shit to him again. Any other stuff on that, Dan? No, that 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 was my major notes there. Still no sex scenes for you, Dan. And this is what they've taken from us. These people that have complained. No more HBO hoots. And I, for one, am ashamed to see it. You know, it's just not very artsy. It's definitely more artsy with the sex scenes. I agree. Oh, they! I didn't realize they purposefully removed them. I just thought that they were showing that Amelia is like a, a respectful woman in the streets, but a freak in the sheets, and that's private. All these people complaining about Game of Thrones has ruined boobs for all of us. <laughs> I, this, was, this came out before Game of Thrones, right? Uh, no, this is Game 2015, of- so we're well into, into several seasons of Game of Thrones complaining. So By 2019, uh, I think Game of Thrones was over. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, I didn't watch it. But it was that popular for a reason. Many reasons, maybe. <laughs> so 1980, they head over what I assume are the Davis tracks. I did think it was funny that they were kind of arguing about where they start. And Roland says, we'll start at the liquor store. Wayne says, that's pretty racist, man. And then he says, it's one of three businesses here because nobody uses it. So they do start at the liquor store. They ask about a guy with a dead eye. 
They do give him a name, which is Sam Whitehead. He says he's always been a good customer. They get to Sam Whitehead's house. They start asking about straw dolls. He starts talking about how it's got to be white children. If it's in the paper, it's white children. He starts asking for others in the neighborhood to come around. At one point, he's talking about Roland, and he says, Peckerwood looks like is looking to shoot somebody. He said, I'm not the only one-eyed person in these parts at one point. He says, this white man want to shoot somebody. Any thoughts on that scene as it was going down, Dan? I'm surprised how much everybody kept their cool because it was kind of stressing me out just where they went and the situation they got themselves into. And, uh, you know, everything was handled pretty well, but I don't know that I would have been able to keep my head or get out of there alive. That's for sure. Jessica, any thoughts on that scene or old one-eyed Willie? He had two eyes. I think he's just blind in one, but, but I, I mean, you buy that at a, you know, church spring fling or whatever. And, fall festival and you you're helping out the church and you're just being a good person and they come and try to you know that they're trying to connect it to you and he probably thought the same thing that a black guy didn't do this so why are you wasting your time over here trying to pin it on us but no yeah as soon as he started like getting the neighbors involved and stuff I was like whoop turn around (laughs) was gonna say we don't actually know that he is the one that bought the dolls in fact I think probably he isn't the one that bought the dolls Oh, yeah, um, wait, where are the other people that look like him? We don't know yet, but I will say that you keep saying a black person would do this crime, and a black person is definitely one of the suspects. Dan, go ahead. That was something that kind of stood out to me. I wasn't expecting there to be a lot of one-eyed people walking around, but I think they kind of mentioned that with all like the factory jobs and weird things like that, it's actually kind of common. So I wasn't sure if this guy you know, was guilty because I wasn't expecting there'd be a bunch of people to match his description. Yeah, I mean, I think I started thinking he's got to be the guy. I don't totally discount. I don't think there's as many one-eyed people as he's saying, but there's definitely (laughs) more than one. And so to me, from his reactions, I didn't really get the feeling that he was a real candidate or that he'd even bought the dolls. Back in the car, Wayne asked, would you would have shot? one of them and Roland says if I thought it was between me and them he it doesn't really answer me thinking about it and then he starts he, he does say the fact that it was black people gave me more of a pause if a group of white people surrounded me and smashed up my ride there'd be a lot less hesitation than I do and that's the other part there they get back to their car and his car's kind of destroyed I, I love the sound of the whistling through the windshield as they're driving okay because <laughs> I think we've seen a lot of movies where they just kind of conveniently leave that out, but it was a detailed thing that I kind of appreciated that they saw it through to that level. When I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again, I just, I really love the way the show handles race. And I think a lot of times you see people exploring race issues with two people with race issues, but Roland clearly likes Wayne and he may not understand race the way somebody else of color would understand it, but he understands it the way he does. And I think he's very fair, but he also doesn't back down and he still calls Wayne on his shit and gives him shit. And it's a fair exchange, I think on both sides and it's continually cool to see. And I did appreciate that interchange as well. We see Wayne in 2015, he shows up at Henry's work. I guess Henry's a cop is what we're to 
assume at this point. Is that how you took that, Dan? I actually didn't track this very close. So I want to hear your thoughts. It sounds right. Yeah, I saw cops in the building. He was talking to one of the rep receptionists about how there was like a lady on the force who could do more pushups than anyone or something like that. I think that was just just, just way to kind of like sweet talk in the, the building as he was waiting for his son. He gives Henry a couple people and details that he wants looked into. He also wants Roller Roland's info. His son doesn't want to seem to help, but he says, I'm being straight with you man to man. It's his way of staying alive. Did you have any thoughts on that scene, Jessica? Dan? No, I just moved it along, and I'm curious to see it, you know, what this kicks up. So back in 1990, we're in Roland's office. He has a picture of him and Clinton in his office. He mentions they're good with the Salisaw PD, so I assume that means they can proceed with their investigation with them. Attorney General, who was previous DA Kent, comes into the office. They mentioned that the goal of the task force is to vindicate the original conviction. Basically, at some point, force Wayne to kind of confirm. He says, I'm committed to fulfilling the commitments as described. And then as soon as they leave, we hear Wayne say, we're not doing any of that shit they just said, right? <laughs> and Roland says, wasn't planning on it. Any thoughts on that interchange, Jessica? No. <laughs> Dan? I, attorney general guy gives you the creeps. You don't want them really working for him. So the fact that they pres preserve some autonomy, you know, once he leaves the room, I like seeing that. So 1980s, Wayne and Roland show up at church again. They're looking for suspects, looking for fingerprints. One of the Roland quotes is, there's some serious ass in here. I got to get back to church. I did think it was weird. The priest kind of kept asking Wayne about his confession. And at one point, he really emphasized that I would like to really, or, or I would, I really would like to hear your confession Detective, I just thought it was a little weird. I don't think there was anything to it, but it was just a weird line and delivery. It was like badgering. And I did think it was kind of interesting. That girl that he sees there is the girl that he ends up dating later. I mean, that was kind of interesting. Any thoughts on this scene, Jessica? I didn't even realize that was the Lori. It was, yeah. Yeah. Good pull from old Roland. He's still got it. <laughs> As he says, God is love. And as you said, he was more attractive, even more attractive at this age. This is 80s. <laughs> so I, I believe that old uh, 90s, he could definitely uh, pull it off. But this is 80s. That's a good pull for him. Um, wait, so 10 years later, that was her at his house? Yeah. So they do say they dated for 10 or years. Wait, it was less two than on, ten. three off, five on. Go ahead. It was less than 10, right? It had been 10. They dated for two. They broke up for three. They got back for five. So he said they've been dating for seven years with a three-year vacation was how he described it. The dinner scene is in the 90s timeline. So it's 10 years after. Okay. I wasn't sure like that was. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting that the gal he saw there and talked to got her number. He pulled. Wisteria Kitchen 1980. This is the first date with Amelia and Wayne. He orders a beer. She says, beer man. He says, only when I need my wits about me. I do definitely think that I have had beer on my first dates before, including a recent one for that very reason. They start talking about the case right away. Amelia is asking if Will's death could be an accident. They kind of stop. It, it was kind of funny to see how they're trying to talk about the case and steer away from the case. 
he asks about California. She says it's all steers and queers, man. Amelia at one point admits, I used to be something of a mess. She asks Wayne, are your clip-on ties as crazy as you get? He says, I'd like to pretend normal as long as I can. So later it'd be a surprise. She says, how late are we talking about? They go back to talking about the case. Amelia says that she thinks there's an element of affection to Will's body being posed. And then he says, he's talking about, yeah, about killers have some affection for their victims, even up to the fucking them and murdering them part. I think that's right. <laughs> as somebody is like the delivering them the food. Is that why she says, do you want a do over? Cause I thought it was a weird do over to ask. Cause I didn't think it was that big of a mess up in the day. Did you catch that at all, Dan? I remember her asking for the do over and thinking it was justified and I would want to do over, but I didn't know if it was in relation to that or something else, but it, on a first date like that, it did feel kind of cringy. Yeah, I think if you're throwing out fucking and murdering, yeah, you might want to backtrack that a little bit. We've seen so um, much of this guy with other things, but she's just seeing him one-on-one -on -one for the third time. Yeah, no, I get that. And I do think, you know, what I was kind of mentioning earlier is we're getting this kind of cat and mouse game with them trying to be normal, but then they just end up talking about the case again. She does ask about his dad, which Wayne won't give info on his dad. He does at one point say, I'd like a full presentation on your background. She said, you're my first police. Are you trying to rough me up? Nowhere on my list of things to do with you is his response. She does keep asking about when was the last time he had a girlfriend. He says, I don't know. Memories of other women get foggy with I'm, when I'm with you, which I thought was a funny line. He notably, unlike Chad, doesn't like the word pussy. He says <laughs> he prefers dick holster, which they both got a laugh out of that. Jessica, what did you think? of this scene, this date scene between the two of them. I thought there was chemistry there. I don't know. I just thought that, what if she's just flirting with him for the case? I don't know. What if that, and then they just ended up together? I think it's hard to discount it with her. I don't think that was the sole motivation. But and bringing up that she used to be a mess and stuff. And then just loves talking shit about how terrible she has been. And then, I don't know, he's blinded by it. He's blinded. But yeah, I don't know. I think she's not. I love she's putting the dick holster on her pedestal. I, Go ahead. I think I just like love. I I think I like trusted her immediately because she was like a teacher and stuff. But maybe she's just not that good of a person or like just mainly into her own interests. And clearly. Dan, thoughts on the scene between the two of them? I know you guys like all the relational stuff and I do to a certain extent, but I wanted to get back to the detective stuff. You sound just like Amelia. Yeah. <laughs> She's my girl. Yeah. Some of, in this particular episode, I think some of the dinner table conversations just went on too long. I will say in this season and last season, you're, or in the first season one, you're a real no foreplay guy, Dan, for crying out <laughs> loud. I thought this was a very well-acted <laughs> scene. I would say a lot of the scenes with just the two of them, I think they're, crushing it i find myself really dialed in and i think they walked that line of just acting and her kind of being like whether it's chemistry or tease or attractive or whatever it is i think they do a good job playing off of each other i was impressed with that scene and i do agree with you jessica like the more i see of her the more i you try i think she likes him and i think their relationship's real but you're still trying to sort out what's her being self-motivated and what's 
what's real. Right? Like, he was probably, like, when they finally got more serious, he was probably like, Amelia, will you marry me? And she was, that helps me get published. <laughs> Can you get married at the <laughs> church where you suspect that I'm being suspects? Dan, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, there, I may not be all for a ton of foreplay, but in this season, there's also no sex and nudity, just cognitive dissonance. That is true. So no foreplay um, needed. I get it. 80, we get Roland at a country bar. Tom Purcell is in the back on the ground. He says, I'm doing my bozo clown accents. Everyone thinks I'm so funny. I guess it was her boss that called the police that she was fucking, I guess, at the sawhorse. We find that out. He kind of spits towards that guy. Roland kind of carries him out there. At one point, Tom Purcell does use the N-word when describing Wayne, but he pretty quickly apologizes. He says he doesn't want Roland to tell Wayne because he doesn't want his ass kicked, even though he deserve it. Roland says, you've gotten your ass ki kicked enough for now. We do hear Tom Purcell say, I just want to die all the time. And he does kind of cry and apologize again for using that word. Did you guys have any other thoughts on Tom Purcell from that scene? I thought it was interesting that the guy that was basically had been with his wife kind of took it easy on him a little bit. It's like he, he could have roughed him up more or gone further. Or... What's the point? He already banged his wife. Like, why beat the guy up too? Yeah. That's kind of how You're I You're ruthless. <laughs> Certain personalities in the South would. And he yeah. came to this guy's work and made a scene. And they just kind of went, ah, Yeah, and cool. then they, just take they him away. spanked him, embarrassed him, and then called Yeah, his... I mean, the guy that did let him off the hook did seem like a little more cleaner cut manager-y type guy for the South, if you will. And yeah, that was kind of my thought, Dan. I was processing that and I was just like, we already banged his wife. So really, you <laughs> know, what's he going to do? That was interesting. He uses the racial slur and then he apologizes. And then, you know, they kind of allude to just like what Hayes has to deal with on a regular basis and things like that. And it's like Tom almost apologized for all of racism and all of like everything in the world that he's had to deal with. He did. And I actually found that endearing, like uh, in this case, like um, Roland had said he's been called by worse that people meant it worse than you did. And he said, I'm sorry for that, too. And yeah. I thought that was touching. I thought it did a little bit to endear us more to both characters. Like the previous scene, you're getting more credibility with both these characters, both in how Roland handled the situation. And they're definitely showing some depth to Scoot even though mm -hmm. his only depth seems to be crying like a little bitch, which I know Jessica's a fan of. In the <laughs> 1990s, they're resetting the case with the task force. Oh, yeah, I just want to say that I thought Roland was a real sweetie pie because like he was just going to bring him home. And, you know, it, he was already doing like more than he had to by going to save him and giving him a ride home. But then he went as far as to hear him say like, I can't be in that house like it's going to drive me to suicide and instead of being like oh here's the number for someone to call he was like all right you can sleep on my couch I just thought that was like going way above and beyond what he was responsible for and I do think he said something to the effect of this is going to go one of two ways you're going to go to the jail or you're going to go to my house or something like that yeah sleep it off something like that or you're going to come with me so, yeah lots of care shown by Roland there for sure Jessica so in the 1990s timeline, they're resetting the case. 
this is where they do say that Wayne has been in public information up till now, but was formally on the case as they're introducing him to the rest of the task force. This is where we do find out that Lucy is dead. She OD'd in Vegas in 1980. So we knew she was dead, but they, I think that this is where they first define that she OD'd. They're still looking for her cousin. Now we go to the 2015 timeline. Henry shows up at the director's place. She did have two glasses in her room. She says, he says, I hope I didn't interrupt anything. She says, no, I'm alone. He says, my mistake. I get confused, as you know by now. They start talking about maybe re-talking about the case, but Henry, um, not Henry, because that's the son, but Hayes says, you're going to have to show me yours too. And this is where he shows that Lucy's cousin was found in a drained quarry in Missouri. She says, I can't show you all of my cards yet, but it's not on you. And he does not want Henry to know what's going on. Any thoughts on that scene, Jessica? So I know what your thought is, and I think that's a good thought. Tell us your thought. Prior scene, and I didn't come to it this early, I did come to it later, but I was wondering if they had something to do with the cousin being Wayne and Hayes, because they're alluding to something they did that we don't know about what they did. As I re-kind of go through this, one thing that discounts that, though, is it seems like in the scene with Amelia, she's talking about the woods specifically, and they definitely don't have him buried in the woods. So I don't know if that checks out, but that was kind of a question that I had is if that was possibly what they're worried about being found out. Any other thoughts on that, Jessica? No, with the director. I, I think that's smart. Oh, with that, with the director. Either. I don't know. I thought she was just true crime is big. I don't know. I didn't think that she had any motives that were bad. Dan, what were your thoughts on this scene? I'm curious what her other cards were. Like she revealed this and it's the first time we as a viewer get to see it. But it really wasn't an aha moment for me because I never, like, I thought the cousin was creepy and maybe, you know, was a catalyst to break up the marriage a little bit. But I don't think he's part of the disappearance at this point. So I'm not sure where this moves things. We're definitely see before that the cops are wondering where he is and she has this information. It is 25 years later, so they might have it by now. We don't really know enough to know that. I think it was enough to say, hey, I'm willing to work with you, but I'm not going to show you all my cards yet. But to your point, I guess the real question I have is she says, I can't show you all my cards on just yet, but it's not on you. So that's to me like who's keeping those cards? Like why can't she show them? I guess is the question I would have out of that. Well, And maybe she's afraid if she tells him too much, that will throw off the integrity of the interview. That she's hoping for him on his own to reveal something that she can use rather than tainting a witness. Do you think the wine glass was for someone? Do you think that she is flirting with officers for information? I think there's two glasses there. That's interesting. I think it is interesting that I do think Wayne saw that. I think that's why we see it, that he says, you know, is there somebody else there? Or or, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. And then when she says she was alone, he plays dumb. So I definitely think that is him. Detective Wayne, for sure. You know who is going to show up? Marty. 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 She's a little... He's a little old for him, to be honest. But we're being fair about it. Um, I mean, 
in 2015. I, I think the best thing about Marty is, you know, no matter how old he gets, they just keep getting younger. They stay the same <laughs> age. All right. So 1980s crime board, they're looking at the body positioning with the praying. They're talking about the church, the toys. They still don't have matches on the bicycle prints yet. They're searching through workplace injuries for 40 years. And then they find out the prosecutor is going on Donahue. A funny quote from Wayne. He goes, what the fuck's a Donahue? <laughs> Jessica, have you ever heard of Donahue in your life? It's probably like a Montel Williams. Or like a it is a precursor to that. Yes. Yeah. Dan, Lake. They definitely a precursor to that. Dan, do you have any fond memories of old Donahue? He was a character, and it was... I I was geographically close to both him and Oprah growing up and <gasps> kind of got to see the daytime talk show grow and grow. So he was a character in my local market that, yeah, kind of became a thing, even though it wasn't the type of thing I would have watched through the 80s. But I thought it was really funny how they did that scene this is my life is, you know, the the quote that I have from that. I thought was funny. When Donahue kind of looked like a little bit, I mean, it's not exact, but like Leslie Nielsen-ish, or he just kind <laughs> of had that gray wave on him. Where did, I knew Oprah was in your area, but I didn't know Donahue kind of came from that same area. And the only other one I know, which obviously came in later than 80, would have been like Sally, Jesse, Raphael. How much after them was she? In what order did they come? It was, I think Donnie, who was actually ahead of Oprah, but they weren't maybe nationally syndicated for long, for that long. Both Donahue and Oprah came ahead of Sally Jesse. Now at night, there was, there was a guy you would have loved. His name will come to me. He used to blow cigarette smoke in the face of his audience. And then Jerry Springer came right on the heels of them. Yeah, I think he was on a WrestleMania I don't think he's really my type, but I think he had something with Roddy Piper at WrestleMania, Morton Downey Jr. or yes, something that, like that's that. that's who it was, Morton Downey Jr. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of him at all. I just saw him at, like on my old WrestleMania tape, so that's how I even know who he was. Yeah. But I mean, I definitely knew Oprah, Donahue, Sally Jesse, and then obviously Springer as he came up, even Montel. I think early I kind of was a Donahue. Like, I don't know what I'm watching, but you just, you know, you're just watching some old dude. But I would say, I guess they would have came to prominence, not just because of syndication, but just I'm putting this together in my head and tell me if I'm wrong or not. With WGN being on cable, like TBS, I would assume their lead in would have been WGN, no? Because that was out of Chicago. I don't remember them being on WGN in Chicago, but. Wow. Because I, I, I'm just trying to figure out how they would have blown up and that's how I would have guessed. Yeah, because in 1980, a lot of people didn't have cable. Cable first started, like, MTV didn't even start until 81. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, I know wrestling kind of per proliferated partially, like, with a TBS, because that was in the Atlanta market. So I'm just trying to think of what was, like, I know WGN probably had to come after TBS, but it was still carrying a lot of Chicago programming. Like, when I was growing up as a kid, we got a lot of Bulls games, which, like, you would have never got it any yeah. other way kind of thing but yeah it's interesting for sure so we find out that they got a hit on the fingerprints from freddie burns they're gonna go check out freddie burns and then amelia is knocking on the door and it's the purcell residence 
Lucy's on the phone yelling at him or yelling at somebody. Amelia says she said she'd bring the kids things by. I did note in here that Lucy is not a fan of kids or bras, apparently. And Amelia offers for Lucy to reach out with her, to her. Any quotes from this part, either of you? I have a few for you. I had the soul of a whore. Do, do it in the voice. Whose voice? I thought you were going to do it. She's Who's like, I got the soul of a whore. That's my closest. I can't path. do it. I can't do it. I can't do it on command. We were aware of this at this point. If I watch um, it, if I watch it really quick, I could probably do it. But did you have any others, Dan? That was the main one I was looking for. I'm not sure if this it's this particular scene, but every parent wants to do more. I'm yeah, gonna... it's here. So a few of the things she but said, she, like, she didn't even like them. Amelia said, a lot of times we do things to hurt ourselves because we think we deserve to be hurt. We do hear from Lucy. I never knew my mama, but even then I couldn't make that easy on them. This wasn't a very happy home. Children should laugh, right? I ran around on Tom. I always run around. What kind of woman woman hates the only things that have ever shown her love? She mentions that she's got a 38 in her purse, but can't find the courage. We see she's got an I love mom plate. She keeps breaking down again. She says, I've done such terrible things. God, forgive me. I don't have the note you had, Dan, which was what again? Every parent wants to do more. And then I think where Amelia definitely makes a misstep is she starts talking to her about how she should, she could trust Detective Hayes and you should talk to him. She says, I open up and you're trying to work me. You snooty cunt, get the fuck out of my house. What were your thoughts on that scene, Jessica? Amelia could have played her cards right a lot better and not tried to suggest anything. And I think she could have stayed a lot closer to the case. That could have been a good friend to have. And she could have got more info, maybe even then, if not later, if she wasn't stupid. Dude, she could have been her best friend and gotten information. And clearly this woman suicidal is, is almost begging for someone to count on. And they could have been friends and she could have gotten every little morsel of information because Lucy could have been like, ah, crackhead and I don't want to hear about it right now, but you can tell my friend Amelia and she'll relay relay the information to me when I'm sober. You know, like every, anytime something pops up and, you know, so she would know maybe even more than Wayne, who knows? They probably would have both ended up banging all the guys at the sawhorse. Stan, go ahead. I feel bad that I kind of wrote Lucy off as being just one dimensional when I think there is maybe more to pull here, but also Amelia at this point, sorry, (laughs) Amelia at this point, you know, we know nineties Amelia, we, but this is eighties Amelia and maybe she's being true to Hayes here. And I think the fact that maybe she sees a missed opportunity might propel her in her nineties iteration of herself to be more thorough to go further because maybe she does kind of look at just a missed opportunity here yeah i kind of look at it as i think this is the first sign in 1980 we get of 19 amelia that we that's i think we see some of it at the dinner but it's still like you can interpret it many ways but i think this is the most close sign of what she becomes I do think she came there looking for info while this, maybe she was going to take her the stuff anyway. I mean, she was definitely fishing. Like you're saying, maybe it's for Hayes, maybe it's for herself. I have a hard time as goal-oriented as she is that she doesn't already know 
kind of what she's doing, but I'll accept your premise is a valid argument, Dan. I think I'm a little more, I don't know if down on her, but I guess just less, and I don't know if I want to say less naive, but I'm struggling for the word I'm looking for, but I'm just a little down on less her. Free, I'm, I'm, expect, I'm more expecting this from her at this point. And this is kind of where she fully sends me into that territory. But even if you're going to do it right for crying out loud, and she definitely, it was a misstep. But I think that's her like agency of trying to, regardless of what's going on, I don't, she is manipulating people in a way. And this was her way to try to manipulate her towards Wayne. And even if it was for good intentions, you can see her maneuvering. And it was definitely a huge And step. yeah, she kind of pulled her punch by invoking Hayes, where I think to Jessica's point, she really easily could have been like, you could tell me anything. Here, let's have some scotch. I invoke the power of Hayes. Jessica, <laughs> any other thoughts wrapping up that scene? I think she... She wasn't a good mom and now she regrets it. Kind of. I don't know. She's only, not that good of a person. You're talking but, Lucy but now. She's kind of pathetic. Yeah. The only other thing that really jumped out with me to her was after she went off on her bullshit, she hucked all that stuff of her kids and all that stuff. And that was a little eye popping to me. And if we know anything about old cryy scoot. You know, when they were removing the edit evidence, he's make sure I get it all back or make sure you don't lose any of that. And you see her take these really precious things from her kids, some of the last remnants of her kids and just destroy it, which I get some of that could be substance abuse. It could be a lot of things, but it was it was an eye popper for me, for sure. So the other the next thing we get here in that timeline still is Woodard trying to go get cans from kids. As I rewatch this scene, I think it was a setup to set up what was happening. I think he did it intentionally because as I was originally watching it, I'm like, why the fuck is he talking to kids? I get what happened, but why do it? I think his intention was what, not the very end result of what happened, but partially what happened was intentful at this point. And that's actually why he went up to the kids. And we do find out like this could be show coincidental or his coincidental but it's within eye distance of where the dad of that those specific kids are. Did you have a thought on that, Dan? You know, I viewed it maybe just as being reckless and a little bit stubborn. I didn't view it as being necessarily like suicidal, but I saw it as poking the bear. I didn't see it as baiting what happened. Jessica, did you have any thoughts on that? I don't think that he was intentionally trying to set off what happened. I think that he lived in a constant state of paranoia and sort of distance from real life. And his residence was set up for something like that just because of what he went through at, in war. And that's why like he couldn't live with his family and stuff. And he obviously couldn't create an environment that was safe for children and a yard with bombs. You know, landmines would support that. But I don't think that he wanted things to go down the way they did that day. I think he did. And here's my defense of why. Because literally the only thing we see before this is him pulling out that duff duffel bag. So he literally went from, as far as what we see on screen, he went from getting beat up to the what duffel bag is the, the setup. Bag? What's that? I mean, that, that was the IED. That was the gun. Oh, did it show that? The house wasn't. No, it didn't. Body. But I'm giving you, this is my stab at it. I feel pretty confident in it, but I'm open to what you guys are saying and what I'm if listening. It was a giant bag of cash for his kid. 
Listen, I mean, I think the, when we look at what they're showing us on screen, we're getting him getting beat up. He goes home and gets the bag. Next scene we see, this is the setup. The next scene is the payoff where they start chasing him after him. So he's set up to my point, Jessica, I don't think all the stuff was set up in his yard the whole time. He set it up after being up and now he's setting the bait for what's going to happen in the next scene. That's my read on it. Fully admit I could be wrong, but I feel based on what we showed. trying to get it over with what he knew was coming. His thought was these people are going to enter his domicile. He's going to defend himself. He's got a shot at getting off. Um, and then we see as it goes down, because he's if I hadn't have shot those cops, okay, the I could have reason, still got off. The yeah. only reason that makes sense now that I think of it is because he's getting, what, two cents a can? And then he told the kids that they could have a cent of it. There's no way he's going to cut his profits in half just for some kids to spend their money on candy, you know? I mean, I could see him being that nice to kids anyway, but really? I think he was... Half of, I his, think, half of his earnings? I think he was setting it up i mean Pat, i think he was setting 50, the hook 50 with some freaking neighborhood kid so you're not you're gonna go do the work money, you're gonna Justin. go do the work of handing in those cans and then drive back to those kids to give them 50 percent of your profit where do you stand on can gate 1980 dan <laughs> i don't even remember recycling being that big of a thing in 1980s oh I, you heard I it straight what do you mean from that the big of a thing? Mouth. They have one Native historian. American man in their town who does it. <laughs> All right. So we go to 1990s drugstore surveillance surveillance with the Salisaw boys. They mentioned it's been five hours and you're not even through a whole day of footage. It seems like Wayne's just going to pour through that footage. So in 2015, this is him by himself, I guess, at the desk or whatever. He's reading to himself what happened. So he's in 98 found the video footage then it starts getting distorted he mentions that's when i lost you in walmart i don't think i ever forgave myself he's asking himself did we ever find the brown car whose was it and then this is where we start to see i think it was both u.s soldiers and vietnam soldiers in the background i didn't think it was just vietnam people did you ever read on that dan there was one guy wearing a tie and So that might be, I mean, I don't know what that is and I didn't specifically see him, but that could be one of the other, the people that, whoever that person is that we think maybe they killed or something happened, that could be the guy that they caused the death of because he's probably seeing people that either he directly killed or he feels guilty about being killed and maybe that guy comes into play there. I thought that's why he didn't like wearing neckties and he wears a clip on because- uh... Ooh, that's an interesting thought too. Oh, because he knows someone- he might have choked the guy he to killed. death with a tie and he doesn't want yeah. maybe it's just then, ironic that he choked the guy to it with a tie after because he knew that was like his fear he could choke him with it yeah, um his fear afterwards he's i'm not wearing one of those maybe yeah. old old annie bezaritas dressed up in a as a man in a tie and he just choked the piss out of her he said I did hear there was a quote that flew by like a hearing in his head quote where he said, I don't want to stay alive without your mother. So that came into play. He mentions he needs to talk to Roland. And this is, I think, the first time he sees the car in front of his house. At one point, he says it's like a late model Mercury, maybe. He's going to even make Mercury's anymore. Dark color. I think he mentions a gray in the moonlight sedan. Any thoughts on that scene, Dan? It was... A little creepy, but interesting. You know, you still have this untrustable narration and you're trying to figure out like what here is. It's real to him, but 
you know, seeing these things from his perspective so much, it's hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. Jessica, any thoughts on that scene? Did it freak you out? The scene with uh, the Vietnam people. Yeah. All the ghosts coming up behind him. No, like it's just him imagining things. So I guess I guess it's like I'm sympathetic to his character who has to deal with that because that's got to be something very hard marry. to live with. Does he reach for his gun at a point in this? I'm I'm no. just trying to remember. Not yet, but in that very first episode, he says, remember your gun in your nightstand if it comes to that. And he does tell his son that he will off himself if they try to put him in a home. So, I mean, I think those are those two pieces of the puzzle there for now. So in the 19, I guess the only other thing I'll add, I do what the show's doing with this because it's very not really. I mean, I guess the only thing we would get that I would compare it to that, and I think it's much more shittily done is the Conway Twitty stuff in yeah. season two. And they describe the scenes with Rust and his daughter and father when he passes out in season one, but we never see it on camera. Right. But that's what I would maybe compare this to, but it's so much more well done, I would yeah, say. I think and so too. I like this or swing a- that they Ani took. imagining the, her rapist space. Yeah, I didn't like when she was tripping out at the unsexiest sex party. Yeah, I guess you could put that in that category. All right, 1980, they bring Freddie Burns in for questioning and the other boys. They wish him a happy birthday. They mention his prints are on the bike. So at least we're getting some payoff with these boys, Dan. So he admits that he took his bike, that he was a nerd. He says he shoved him, chased him off. We do find out he was gone for a half hour in the woods. Roland tells Wayne to call him a shit heel twerp again. And then at one point, Wayne says, tell the story or train your ass to be an entrance. To quote. We get 1990s Wayne on the video pulls the video footage of what he believes to be Julie Purcell. Back to 19. This is where we see uh, Woodard with a walking stick and a trash can. So at this point, He doesn't have his cart with him. I feel like he's preparing for what happens. I think he's probably walking because walking takes longer. He's just waiting for the result of what he had just done. He starts. He can also stay in the proximity of his house. Yeah, he's probably just dog and pony and back and forth. He throws his boots, which I thought was interesting. Um, Runs through the grass barefoot. Runs into the house where he set up grenades on a string that ied or whatever it is facing the door he's got rifles by the windows we go back to the prison freddie burns is still crying funny line between roland and wayne roland says this prison rapes a real go-to for you lately something you want to tell me (laughs) and wayne just they don't think that he did it even as much as he's crying they get called out to the woodard prey place they arrive at the scene as the guy's breaking in and there's an explosion as we end that episode. Jessica, any wrap-up thoughts on that episode? It's a really good cliffhanger. I agree. It's maybe one of the best of the series so far. It might the be series... one of like, the best cliffhangers on television. I don't know I'd go as far as the best, but it's a... Oh, it's, that's... It's... I was going to stop watching at that and I was like, I should probably go spend Christmas with my family. And then I was like, nope, my family doesn't need me. As bad as old Wayne does. Dan, any wrap-up thoughts on this episode? You know, a lot of good setup, but some of it just took too long to get there, I think. 
So I wasn't that patient and I have high expectations for a fourth episode where it seems like maybe they pushed some of that to the fifth episode this season. Yeah, I was wondering. So I, we can maybe just briefly discuss that in that f- most four episodes, we get our back big action sequence right here. They start it here and they paid it off in five. I will say that I did think it was weird, too, because the setup for this almost starts in episode three. So yeah. they really drug this out. So I don't know if it was just to intentionally address that. So like it wasn't in four or if it's like he's developing as a writer or what this is, but it's still pretty, it's still the same formula, just half an episode later. Go ahead. It's weird in that if you compare seasons one or two, this would be like the episode ending right when the shootout starts in the Houston projects or the episode ending right in Los Angeles as all the gun battle erupts in the by the meth warehouse or wherever and a couple of cops dropping down normally the cliffhangers on the show don't go that way they see it through to the end and then you get credits and they're so, not as cliffhangery so i will say this has been a show that almost has conditioned us to not be cliffhangery we do get where ray gets shot but they at least show him getting shot but that's a little cliffhangery and we do get kind of the ray is going to talk to frank those would be the two that jump out in my mind both were big letdowns for you, so we'll <laughs> yes. see. But hopefully, oh, this oh, him Ray getting shot that was better than this. I think this was actually as a straight cliffhanger because you didn't see. I could go Make, either way, I could making you want to watch the next episode. But to your point, Craig, most of the cliffhangers are like a piece of evidence, or you know, now we're in the future and they say, Here's something you didn't know from 15 years ago, and credits. Even like a shitty piece of evidence. It's, you know, like McConaughey twisting around bird traps that never even really led to the end of anything. Yeah. Um, I would say, too, that that right before that, though, just it would have helped if we didn't know they already had the photo. But that photo of Julie Purcell was a little bit of a pre cliffhanger. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Season 3, Episode 4, The Hour and the Day. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestigious Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both you can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, and we hope you will join us for another episode soon. I've got this. I've got the soul of a whore. I've got the, no, I've got it's the more soul country. of a whore. Jesus. She wasn't even that. That was like horny. That was like horny soul of a well, whore. She was when she said it. Okay, do You're it like again. almost about to cry. She's do you like, want to listen to it I, so you can do it? I I just did. And then I was practicing and then I lost it. I've got the soul just... of a whore. No, that just sounds sad. Okay. <laughs>
the soul of a whore. I've got the soul of a whore. That's pretty good. That's pretty it. Good. You found it again. I've got the soul of a whore. Yep, that's it. That's the one. Children should laugh, right? 